This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. A couple weeks ago, my son told me a joke. And I should preface this with saying that he's six years old. And he gets jokes, some jokes. But he's also still at that age where he's trying to figure out what is and isn't a joke. So it it makes it interesting. And I'm not sure that I can give it quite the same quality that he did, but I'll try. Imagine you're on a boat in the ocean in the middle of the ocean, and you're far from anyone. You have no friends in sight. You can't see land. You're just in this little boat. And in your hand, you have your favorite sandwich. The sandwich you love the most. You can't wait to eat it. You're here in this boat, and there's a hole in the boat. And all around the boat, Circling, there are sharks. And you're getting really nervous. You're getting really scared, and water is coming into the boat, and the sharks are getting closer to the boat, and you're starting to panic. What do you do? What do you do? Stop imagining that. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) Of course, he thought it was funny because it's like a trick. But I thought it was funny because he gave me something to think about for a really long time. My first response was that it feels like uh, almost an antidote to koans in which we're invited to enter into a story and to kind of digest that story and embody that story and get really involved in a story. It just says... No, stop thinking about that story. (laughs) But on a more personal level, what I love about this is that it points to what we're doing all the time. Which is, this is not new information. But maybe it's a good reminder. It's our natural inclination to get caught up in the story that we're telling ourselves. And for that story to be more real to us than anything else. Anything else. And we do this in a thousand different ways.
Even on the most basic level, we're confused about what's real and what's not. And when in Buddhism, when we talk about what's real, I have to clarify that real refers to something having an existence, an inherent existence. Your thoughts are real. Which is to say, it isn't true to say that they don't exist. It isn't true to say that you're not thinking those thoughts. But to use kind of a a classic way of talking about it, imagine your hand. We call this a hand. From the wrist up, we say, that's your hand. It's very convenient to do that. For lack of a better word, it's a shorthand. And that's, that's easy for us. This thing, it seems like it needs a name. But from a Buddhist standpoint, there is no such thing as a hand. Right? There's just this collection of, of pieces that we've decided to call this. We don't have to call it that. We don't even have to decide that that's what it is. Right? For example, there's nothing that you can do with your hand that doesn't involve your wrist. There's nothing that you can do with your hand that doesn't involve your forearm. If you move your fingers, you can see your little muscles dancing. Right? It's not separate. We could have decided to call this whole thing something. Or we could just talk about our fingers. But instead we had this thing. And we can talk about it this way and we can say, oh yeah, no, that's really clear. That's just an easy way of of categorizing something. But day to day, we don't choose to look at what a hand is. That seems like a lot of trouble. It seems like a waste of time. So we call it a hand and everybody knows what what a hand is. And we don't have to we don't have to consider. <laughs> we do this for everything. We give everything a name. And we bring to that name whatever our story is about that name. And once we've done that, then we don't have to think about it anymore. We do this with the physical world, but we also do it with the things that we can't see. And perhaps most, perhaps that's the most dangerous territory. We imagine, for example, that there's a thing called love. It's an object. You can smell it. You can notice it when it's gone. You can notice it when it's there. It's like a gas, maybe. So it's present or it's not. There is no such thing. It's a way for us to give shape to the world of our experience. So we call this thing that we all can kind of recognize experientially, love. And then we forget that that's what we're doing so that it becomes like something that that is or isn't in the fridge. We need to go get more. And within Buddhism we do this, and it's really insidious, and we imagine that there's something, for example, like there's something called enlightenment. 
it must be because I saw it in the catalog and I don't have it. Right. Why would everyone talk about it so much if it weren't real? Or we take a different tack and we think, well, it's not that I don't have it. It's that I'm in it. So that again, it's a gas. (laughs) On this level, there is no such thing as enlightenment. And while that story is useful, it distracts us from a reality that is is more interesting than that. We speak of the Four Noble Truths and we say that everyone experiences dukkha, or this dissatisfaction. But we could just as easily say that the First Noble Truth is that everyone experiences this moment as being incomplete. And then number two would be that the reason we do that is that we refuse to look at things as they are. Then number three would be that if we want to see beyond this story we have, then we have to confront things as they are. And how do we do that? Number four is the Eightfold Path, and it's not bad. <laughs> you know. Eight things, I made, I, I can never rattle them off. View, intention, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, concentration. These are my notes. All of these, from one perspective, have to do with activity that takes us out of ourselves. that breaks us out of our, our little bubble so that we accidentally almost confront things as they are. So that we might, by pure accident, bump into something that we didn't know was there. But the other way, the more, the more direct way, and sometimes the more painful way, is through the practice that we do here. This kind of sitting, and and some people like to call it meditation, some people don't like to call it meditation. It doesn't matter. What we do, if we're following the instructions, is we sit down and we don't bring anything else to where we are. Nothing. We sit down and we just confront the reality of right now. Not our story about the past, not our story about the future, but this. And depending on where you are that day and what your mood is and what you ate... (laughs) 
you'll sit down and you'll face the wall and one day you'll look at what really is and you'll think, oh, that's it? And then another day you'll sit down and you'll face the wall and you'll think, oh my God, that's it? And it can be overwhelming. I think I've mentioned in the past, I'm just really interested in dreams. And how they demonstrate to us so clearly our willingness, our, our almost desperate need to construct a reality. We close our eyes and we don't see our walls and we don't see our faces and nothing is happening. And so we just, we just whip up a whole world. Something that's complete. Filled with three-dimensional characters and filled with memories. I have memories in dreams that I don't have in real life. Because they only exist in the reality that I created for that dream. I don't think there's any way to argue that this is what we're best at in the world. This is our skill. And the thing that we're worst at in the world is seeing past it. Someone joked once, I, I, I saw a comedian make a, a joke once about the, the holodeck on Star Trek. The holodeck is this room you can go into and it can, it can simulate any reality you want. And the joke was that the holodeck will be the last human invention. Because once we figure that out, we won't want anything else. But we're there. So we're on the boat, and the, the sharks are circling us, and the water is, is filling up. We have our favorite sandwich. I don't know why that's an important part of the joke, but it, it really adds a layer for me. And, it, and for me, it's a, it's a layer of loss, that, that even as you know that you're about to be eaten, you're going to the last thing that you see before you're eaten will be the thing that you really, really wanted getting soggy and sinking. It's really sad. Or your last moments will be this pathetic act of, of, of just inhaling this sandwich <laughs> for no reason. Right? That's right. <laughs> You plug the hole in the boat with the sandwich. You just ruined the whole thing. It feels so real. Even as I'm telling you the joke, and I know that it's a joke, and I know that it came from a six-year-old, and I know the punchline, when I'm telling it, I feel it. 
I see the colors, I smell the salt, I see the boat. Instantly I see the boat when I say boat. And we all see different boats, right? But you don't need five seconds to construct your boat. It's there, it's ready. Because your brain is dying for someone to say something like, you're in a boat. It eats that up. And then, and then we've added fear. We've added risk. And again, we see in the listening that that's what we want. And so that's what we have. I don't mean to say that our stories aren't important. I think they are. And I think stories are important. But I also hope that part of what we discover or part of what we cultivate or part of what we encounter in this practice is a little greater sense of the fact that stories are stories. so that we can enjoy the daydream without believing that it's real. I'll stop there for today. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.